should say steady red. There it is. Okay. Hi, my name is Jeff. I am a compulsive overeater. Uh, and a hundred pounder. And uh, so I will get statistics out of the way while I pass these pictures around. Uh, I've been uh, abstinent since July 5th, 2009. July 5th, by the way, not a coincidental date. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, and I've lost about a hundred, between 110 and 115 pounds since I've been doing this. Uh, and I have pictures to prove it. So I'm going to show you some embarrassing photos of me as a chubby child all the way through me as a fat adult. Uh, and this picture, this paper picture, is me at my heaviest weight. I was wearing a black vest because it's supposed to be slimming. <laughs> you can be the judge of that. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, what it was like, um, well, hell would be a good way to describe it, but uh, uh, I was, uh, you know, I come from compulsive eating stock. My mother was a compulsive eater. My father was, if, uh, looking at the, if I look at the big book, more, defined more as a heavy eater. He could stop, he just didn't. Uh, and uh, I was fat before I knew what food was, for the most part. Uh, which brings about a problem, because uh, I'm old enough to uh, have uh, avoided political correctness as a child, and uh, anyone and everyone could you know, make fun of you, and did. Uh, and did. Uh, and uh, not just the other kids, there's plenty of that, not just other you know, strangers, adults, plenty of that, teachers, relatives, and even my parents, although they didn't do it purposely. I was thinking this morning as I was getting dressed that I, you know, you know Michael would think I'm well underdressed, but you know, I wanted to put on at least a shirt with a collar to stand in front of you today. And I said, well, should I tuck it in? Should I, you know, because I'm crazy. And uh, and I said, no, I'm not going to tuck it in because I remembered my mother saying that uh, when I tucked th- you know, my shirt in and wore my uh, pants you know, tight enough to not fall off, that I looked like a sausage. That was my mother telling me that I looked like a sausage. Okay? And, and she didn't mean to hurt me by doing it, uh, and I've spent many hours working on forgiving her for doing that. Uh, I, I have, I believe, been able to do that. But... You get it from everywhere. So when everyone tells you you're a piece of crap, you believe it. Because I'm what? I'm five, I'm six, I'm eight, I'm nine. And what I began to do, what I found out you know, through the work I do in the program, is I began to consciously separate from the world. It was my world. If it wasn't my world, if it was your world, I was a piece of crap. So it had to be my world, and the conscious separation isn't really good for you as a human being, in my opinion. And by the way, speaking of opinions, everything I say here is my opinion based on what I've learned and, and the work I do, but it's my opinion. Uh, very little of this will be found in any conference-approved literature, I'm quite sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, you can take that for what it's worth, but it's also my experience, my opinion born from my experience. Anyway, I don't want to go through the whole... You know, fatalog. You know, I was, I, I was, I was. So, yeah, this is the only program. Yeah, you know, twelve step rooms is the only place where you do reverse bragging. Yeah, I was three thirty six. I was four twelve. You know, I, yeah, whatever. I was, yeah, I was. If you were a fat kid, you know the experience, and if you aren't a fat kid, God bless you that you didn't have to have it. Is the, the best way that I can put it. Uh, but it wasn't. It was a lot of fun. Um, so. Uh, what happened is that, uh, you know, in the 80s, uh, by the way, the, the, I, I just, before I move on, I just want to say one other thing. You know, we talk about 
what it was like. And part of that is so that you as a newcomer or you as uh, someone in this room can identify with what I'm saying and can, can you know, believe, you know, based on my experience, that we have a commonality of purpose uh, and that what I'm saying isn't completely full of crap. Uh, but the other reason that we talk about what it's like is so that we remember. Because, you know, I don't wake up every morning with indigestion uh, from a sleep sleepless night filled of sleep apnea and 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 I don't smell like a fat guy anymore uh, people don't point at me you know uh, in public anymore uh, you know I, I, I early in my absence after I dropped most of my weight I had an, uh, some drunk guy in a in a theater was having an argument with me because he was being rude and I was calling him on it and he called me a bald bastard and I said thank you <laughs> And uh, and he said and he said th- he was so confused. Thank you. I said, well, you know, because uh, he, he didn't call me a fat bastard. If I had a dollar for every time I was called a fat bastard, I'd be driving a Tesla right now. I promise you that. So, you know, uh, so anyway, so I have to remember what my life was like because I have to do work to keep myself from going back there. And the only way I'm going to be motivated to do that work is to remember that. I had indigestion all the time because I was eating so much sugar. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I couldn't drive past the Seven Eleven without stopping. You know, and, and again, what it was like is, you know, I'll tell two quick stories and then I'll move on. Uh, one is that, uh, you know, I lied to, you know, what it was like is I lied to myself all the time. I lied to myself about what I was doing. Uh, I would rarely go into a, a supermarket and buy two bags of cookies and walk out with them. I did that. But it wasn't common. More common was I'd stop at five different convenience stores on my way home from work and buy one or two things because that wasn't so bad, right? And so with that, now I've got... So on the times that I've been... One of the things I enjoyed, and that was probably not the right word, one of the things I had to eat were those little miniature donuts that are powdered sugar. They come in bags, right? So I'd buy two bags of those donuts and I would get in the car... And unless I was wearing a white shirt, which was not a good look for me, because from behind I looked like a movie screen, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I would get this white powder all over myself because I'm hiding it from people by doing it in the car. But I've got white powder as I'm, uh, and you know, you do this, you, you, know, you brush it off, and it just gets worse, right? So I'd eat, but I still eat them. It didn't stop me. So when I'd get down to two or three in the bag, I would say, well, I can't eat the whole bag. So I'd open up the window and throw the one or two donuts out the window, which hit a car. Now, can you imagine driving down the freeway and having a donut? (laughs) Anyway, uh, and then I'd open the second bag. And by the way, drinking uh, Diet Coke along with that. So, I mean, that's that's how you fool yourself. You know, and I did that. I found the rooms in the 80s. and, you know, I, I came in and it was really diet with group support because I didn't do the work. And because I was having too much fun. And I lost a lot of weight very quickly. You know, I, I, I have a somewhat of a, a, a gift of gab. So, I, you know, I was being asked to speak at four months and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was enjoying the attention because positive attention was new to me. And so yeah, I rode that for a year. But in that year, I, I went to a men's retreat and I had a spiritual experience. Uh, I, you know, I'm a city guy. I grew up in New York, went to college in Philly, lived in, in L.A., right? So 
Uh, and this is out somewhere in the you know, Santa Barbara, in the middle of nowhere. There's no street lights. It's very dark. I went off because I needed to take like a five-minute break from all of the stuff that was going on. And I went off, and I walking down this path, and it was really dark, and I couldn't really even see the path. And I'm hearing things in the trees, and you know, groaning, and chirping, and 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 barking, and howling. And, yeah, and I got really scared. I turned around and went back. And I was really kind of ashamed of myself for doing that because I let my fear overcome. You know my my you know my desire for a little peace, and I talked about it, and I said I've got to go back, and I've got to do it the next day. I've got to overcome that fear, and God bless the people that oh, will walk with you here. Take a flashlight. This was before cell phones, so no one had the, 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 the flashlights on their phone, and. And I said, no, I've got to do it myself, I've got to do it myself. So I got back on that path the next night at the same time, and I took three steps, and a car came down the path and lit the way. And to me, that was God lighting the way. Now, God didn't actually command some guy to drive down that path, but the point being that if I just had faith and turned it over, that God would light the way. Great spiritual experience. Three months later, I, was out, I was, had graduated the program. Uh, you know, and as my friend Harlan says, the graduation song is "Welcome to McDonald's." May I take your order, please? Uh, and uh, and I was off and running for 22 years. All right, 22 years. I would occasionally dip back in, and I would hear people say stuff like, "I asked God to find me a parking space." Now. I'm not very smart, but I've read the big book, and the big book specifically says that we seek the uh, knowledge of God's will and the power to carry that out, not a parking space. You know, this is my opinion. If you pray for a parking space, God bless you. I pray for the patience to not go crazy while looking for a parking space, which is, I think, a more attainable goal, truthfully, uh, if you're asking God for help. Uh, anyway, but I went out, and the reason I tell you this is because sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. Sitting in these rooms doesn't make you spiritual. Sitting in these rooms doesn't make you recovered. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, and I have to do it every day because I get a daily reprieve. Sometimes an hourly reprieve. Sometimes a momentary reprieve. And if I don't diligently work my program, give up my old ideas, let go absolutely. And I've got to remind myself, I've been doing this eight and a half years, I've got to remind myself to do that every day. Because left to my own devices, I'm off and running. I'm on Selfishville. You know, I don't care about you, I don't care about my, you know, you know, my body, I don't care. I, I, and I don't know why that is, and it doesn't matter why that is, it is. So, I out there for 22 years, occasionally dropping my head back in, only to be discouraged. And then I hit a bottom. I, yeah, I, financially, I was, I was bankrupt in every way. I had b- really bad business uh, stuff going on. Uh, I was 335 pounds. My relationships were shot. Uh, you know, I was just spiritually, morally, financially, physically bankrupt. Uh, and I was going to get the gastric bypass. And if you have gotten the gastric bypass, no judgment. I, you know, I, I went, and they showed me the amount of food that they suggested that you eat after the gastric bypass, and it was about half the size of my fist twice a day. And I looked at that, and I said, if I eat that, I will be nuts, because I need to eat more than that. How can I just eat that? Well, that's food. I mean, how can that happen? 
and so I go to see the surgeon, very nice fellow, and as I'm leaving, he says, and you go see my shrink and she'll tell me you're fine and we'll do the surgery. And I said, you know, I should find out if I'm fine. And I sought out a therapist that I knew from my early days in OA, and he wouldn't see me professionally because he was going to Eskimo me back in. And he did. And he became my first sponsor. And that was July 5th. Uh, I say not coincidentally, uh, you know, in my uh, disease, I am always doing something tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do it the first of the month. I'll do it yeah, Christmas, July 4th, Almalaguena. It doesn't matter. You know, you just keep pushing it back. So July 5th was the day after the July 4th party where, of course, I tied one on. But thankfully, it was the last one so far, as of today. So, blessed for that. Got in, realized I needed to do the work. Got into the first step. I am powerless over food. My life has become unmanageable. I don't want to. Who would? Uh, I admitted, I am powerless. Who wants to admit? First of all, admit means come to the truth with reluctance. That's the dictionary definition, right? So none of us skipped our way in here. I, I, I don't know. If you did, great. I did not. I don't know many people who have. So I reluctantly admitted that I need. I had a problem. Right, And if I don't admit I have a problem, then I'm not going to find the solution. And it tells me then that I need to develop a spiritual program, a spiritual belief. Well, I'm a hedge-your-bed agnostic Jew from New York, right? That does not give me a, lot, a really great path to spirituality. Uh, but I realized, you know, I went to the beach to th- think about it, and I told the waves to stop, and they didn't. And I told the earth to stop turning, and I didn't want it to get dark, and it kept turning. And my grass keeps growing, even though I don't want to pay the gardener. You know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of stuff that goes on out there that I have absolutely no control over. And for me, that was a start. And the big book tells me that's a start. All you need is a start. All you need to know is you're not God. You don't need to believe what Christians believe or Buddhists believe or Muslims believe or Jews believe. Because, by the way, if any one of those groups is wrong, is right, 80% of the world is wrong. Right? So, you know, you develop your own path. I mean, you, you, you find your own way to spirituality. But why do I need spirituality? I mean, I got along pretty well without it. Not really, but I thought that I did. You know, professionally, I had a lot of success. I had a lot of friends. You know, but I didn't have a lot of peace. But I had a lot of other stuff. Other people's opinions were very important to me. And, you know, in, in Los Angeles, you know, where you live, what you drive, where you work, who you know, you know, I mean, and so, you know, uh, and, and I've had to learn to divorce myself from that. But back to the question of why do I need a spiritual awakening? Why do I need a spiritual belief or program? And the answer can be found in the preface of the big book, in my opinion, in the doctor's opinion, someone else's opinion other than mine, thankfully. And it tells me that we have an allergy Right, dictionary definition of an allergy, you can see I like the dictionary. The dictionary definition of the allergy is an unusual reaction to a substance. Doesn't mean I break out in hives. It means I have an unusual reaction. My unusual reaction to sugar, I can't stop eating it. That's an unusual reaction. There's a large percentage of people who have it, but a much larger percentage of people who don't. Right? So I can't stop eating sugar and other foods too, and I can go through the the list, but it, we'd be here till tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, I, there's uh, you know, a, a lot of foods that that's my allergic reaction to. And I have an obsession. Okay, what's the obsession? The obsession is the voices in my head. The voices in my head that tell me that eating will make me feel better. Eating will blot the pain. Eating will push it back. You know, I spent my you know, 40 years of my life pushing the difficult stuff back. Just push it away. Push it till tomorrow. Push it till the next day. 
you know, and, and so the voices tell me that food will accomplish that goal for me. Okay? What it does for me as opposed to what it does to me. Now, that's my dilemma. So why do I need God? Well, in my experience, and I've tried everything, and again, I could go through the diatribe of diets, and we've all been on most of them, and some of them are a little unusual for me, but you, I never use pregnant hormone, cows' hormone shots and stuff like that. So, uh, But, you know, uh, it's the only thing in my experience that will get in between my allergy and my obsession and give me the momentary ability to stop. Because I can, on my own, I can't stop. With God, I can. Why? Why does that happen? I have no freaking idea. And I could care less. The reason is, it works. It works. It works without hurting anybody. It works without paying anybody. It works. I don't know why. But thank God, it works. So now I've got work to do, though, right? I've, you know, I've, got, I've, I've momentarily stopped that cycle of allergy and obsession, obsession and allergy. Allergy and obsession, obsession and allergy. Ah, momentarily stopped that. Now what do I do? Well, I've got to, I've got to you know, sort of strip myself of my old ideas, right? It will only work if I let go absolutely. Get, you know, get rid of my old ideas. Well, that's hard because I liked a lot of my old ideas. And a lot of my old ideas served me in certain ways. And like I said, professionally, I had a good career. You know, I had a lot of friends. I had relationships. I had kids. You know, I mean, hey, all's good, sort of. You know, it wasn't really, but it, it seemed like it. And so, I got to get rid of those old ideas. Well, what ideas do I replace them with? Well, read the big book, dummy, right? I mean, there's enough ideas in there to keep you going for a while. Uh, and I began to consciously unseparate, if that's a word. You know, I, in other words, I, instead of wanting to be apart from the crowd, which was my goal, because let's face it, you walk in a room at 335, you're apart from the crowd, right? I mean, you just are. Statistically and you know, politically, you know, you're apart from the crowd. But when I say politically, I mean everyone's like pointing and talking. About so I did nice things for people. Why? So people would say, he's a nice guy, as opposed to he's a fat guy. You know, I'd rather be a nice fat guy. I, you know, I developed this sort of oversized personality to match my oversized body. And I had to make people laugh because if I was going to be a fat guy, I might as well be the jolly fat guy. Right? So none of these things really served me, and they did. You know, because, and, and, and I'm still kind of an asshole. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm still, I, I, you know, I don't mind being the center of attention. You know, I, I, you know, but I don't, I don't hang on to it like I used to. It's not the most important thing. It's nice when someone says something nice to you. It's nice that I can make somebody laugh. You know, it's nice that I'm good in a room. You know, uh, you know I, I, a lot of my job is selling my ideas to other people. You know, I'm good in a room. I can articulate. Oh, that stuff is great. But it's not the most important thing anymore. The most important thing anymore is, right now is my abstinence. The most important thing is my relationship with God on a daily basis so I don't have to have this struggle. You know, the big book talks about, you know, recoiling as if from a hot flame and, you know, not feeling neither tempted, cocky, nor afraid, you know, uh, when you walk into a room. And 95% of the time, I have that. You know, 95, and the other 5%, I need to work harder to get it. You know, so what do I do? I do step work. You know, I went through the steps. I went through the big book, writing on the big book. I did the resentment. I had 168 resentments. And by the way, that was just scratching the surface. 168 re resentments. Why do I have resentments against people? 
You know, because I like being a victim. Because I was a victim. Okay, that doesn't mean I have to be a victim moving forward. But, you know, I, I, I had, there was stuff that happened that wasn't great. That you wouldn't want someone to go through. Well, I, you know, and, and I took on that role of victimhood. And I played that victimhood till, and I, you're going to laugh when I say this, till about three weeks ago. I, I mean, you know, and then my sponsor pointed out, you know, you're not a victim. You, you, you have so, you know, what's your, and the reason that being a victim is so dangerous for someone with our disease is that it allows, again, it allows me to push off responsibility. Right? It's not my fault, it's your fault. You know, I've heard people say I won't hire him because he's too fat. Or, you know, I, you know, or I won't promote him because he's too fat. I've heard it with my own ears. They didn't, weren't talking to me, but I was able to hear it. Thank you. Uh, and, and that's not, you know, that's not fun to deal with as a human being, you know? But it wasn't that I needed to do something. It was their assholes because they are, they're fattest. They're fattest. You know, uh, bigotry against fat people. Well, yeah, there is bigotry against fat people, okay? There is. So what's my part in it? Is, is it, you know, is, is it my fault that they're... Be- no, it's not my fault. Is it my responsibility there? No, it's not my responsibility. How I comport myself within that is... Okay, it's just like, you know, my, my first thought is often still an addictive one. Yeah, I was in New York, which, you know, I grew up in New York. It's ground zero for my compulsive of reading. I'm walking past these stands and these guys are shoving pretzels in my face and hot dogs. I'm literally like going here, bye, bye. Yeah, and my first thought is, great, let's go. I'm not responsible for that thought. I am responsible for the next action. And if the next action is, God, please let me not have to do that then I'm okay. If my next action is picking up the phone and saying, hey, I'm in New York and I'm you know, a little shaky, that's, that's, a great, that's a great thing to do. If my next action is, uh, I'll take two, because one would never be enough. <laughs> By the way, two is not enough. And, you know, and so back to the victimhood thing, though. You know, the, the victimhood thing is, it keeps me from looking at my part. And what's my part? I want more. I want more food, I want more attention, I want more money, I want more sex, I want more you know, accolades, I want more whatever, I want more. And the ability, the other th- part of that's my responsibility in the victimhood thing is to not, to, to not do the behaviors that allow me to be the victim. Right? I can't help what someone thinks of me. I can't, if, if I were African American and people were prejudiced against black people, I can't help that they're prejudiced against black people, right? I can't help that. I can't help if they're prejudiced against fat people. But I can, I can control my reaction. I can look at what my part is in that interaction, despite their bigotry. And I can turn to God or to, and to the program and to my fellows for help in that situation so I don't have to be driven to eat over it. So, you know, you know so what is like now, in a, in a nutshell, because I've got, I think, two minutes left, is much better... Uh, I don't wake up with, uh, I don't wake up with, uh, I, first of all, I sleep through the night. Well, I'm older now, so there's other reasons I might not, but, uh, but I mostly sleep through the night. Uh, I don't wake up with indigestion. I don't have sleep apnea. I don't smell fat. I can shop for clothes at regular stores, which, you know, may not seem like a lot to some of you, but I've been able to do it for about six years. I still get a kick out of walking into Macy's and buying a pair of pants. 
because for years I couldn't. I had to go buy clothes when I was a kid at the He-Man shop, and there wasn't a He-Man within miles of this place. <laughs> but you know, uh, I mean, a band, you know, mom jeans and banded bottom shirts, and life, you know, and I could, and again, conscious separation. I couldn't look like the other kids. You know, now I can look like the other kids. I'm too old to look like the other kids, but I still can. You know, and, and so you know, and I have a relationship with a higher power. I know that everything that happens in the world isn't my responsibility. I don't have to fix everything for everybody, and I don't have to fix everything for me. I have a part in everything, but sometimes you get a shit burger. <laughs> You know, and 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 you got and you got to eat it, and you got to you got to go yum. You know, and some and sometimes that happens, and you know, and again, it's not my responsibility that bad things might happen to me, or unfortunate things might happen to me, or the other guy might get the job that I want, or the other woman might get the the job that I want, or the other woman might get the girl that I want for that matter. But uh, uh, but you know, all of that doesn't matter. What matters is my reaction to it. How do I deal with it? And I look at the world now through the lens of what is God's will for me, and what is God's will for you. You know, when somebody's you know, mean to me, angry to me, nasty to me, I look and I say, wow, they really are, they have a problem. I hope that they get some help, as opposed to making it my problem. You know, and I get to, you know, to talk to people like you and to, to work with newcomers and to try and help other people. Because it's not just about what I can get for me anymore. It's how can I be of service? Why do I want to be of service? To get out of my head. Because my obsession is still there. And my obsession will still call to me. And if I let myself sit in my own, you know, stew in my own shit, you know, then I, it's going to boil up and it's, it, it's going to boil up and it's going to spill over and it's going to make me want to eat. And for today, I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to do that anymore. So that is my time. I hope I've said something that helps somebody. And I will stop now. So thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I just realized I yacked for like 25 minutes and didn't talk about food or abstinence or the practical stuff at all, so I apologize for that. But maybe someone will ask a question. Uh, it's time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so after the meeting with one of us. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm sure you recognize that. When asking questions, you don't need to identify yourself. Uh, but your voice may be audible on the OA podcast, and I'm supposed to repeat the question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you so much for your fabulous share, and as a New Yorker, I'm thinking Papaya King. But yeah, I get yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you, you broached the subject of uh, bigotry and not having um, control over other people, like you said, but you look at your part. And I would love to hear... Uh, so the question is, uh, you know, well, we, I talked briefly about, uh, touched on bigotry and, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, disliking you on site because of what you look like, uh, and how do I deal with that? And what my part in is, is that? Well, my part is, I have no part in their, you know, uh, 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 their bigotry, their, I was going to say their illness, but I don't want to, you know, be judgmental about it. But, you know, whatever, you know, little screw might be, tweak the wrong, you know, turn in the wrong direction and make them hating people for no reason. I don't know why people hate people for no reason. I try very hard not to do that in my life. What my part in is how I react to their bigotry. It's not, I can't, I can't make them 
think or feel or act a certain way. But I can determine how I'm going to comport myself. You know, uh, when someone would call me a name, you know, uh, I mean, I had uh, thousands of reactions because it happened tens of thousands of times. But, uh, you know, when, when I'm in the realm of walking away or saying, I'm sorry you feel that way, and, 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 and being neutral or peaceful around it, then I'm in a better place than when I say, go to hell, you stupid blankety-blank. Uh, and so that's my part in it. But the other part is carrying a resentment about it with me, because the they're full of hate. My hating them or resenting them or having any sort of emotional charge around it is my problem. They don't give a shit. They're not hurt by it. It's, you know, the old saying about eating poison and expecting someone else to die. I carry around that poison. They're living rent-free in my head. You know, and what does that make me do? Someone called me fat. What does that make me do? Eat. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Right? Cunning, baffling, and powerful. So I've got to stay away from the, 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 the roads that lead to cunning, baffling, and powerful and try and stay on the ones that lead to peace and serenity. And saying, I'm so, you know, to myself, I'm sorry that they have to suffer from that, from that hatred. Because look, we've all, you know, I, I shouldn't say we've all, because I don't know any of you well enough to say this, but I have suffered from hating people. That's suffering too. It's a different kind of suffering. You know, when I, when I have arguments with people, my sponsor says, don't take their inventory, but just know that they're sick. You know, though they have a problem, their problem doesn't need to be my problem. And so that's how I try and, and, and handle it. It's, it doesn't always work, but it works a lot more than it doesn't. Thank you, Can you talk about what your Sure. Uh, the question is what my absence looks like today. And, and I'm going to preface it with a, a little story, and then I'll... Okay. Uh, I got in the program. I lost 100 and something pounds. Uh, everything was beautiful. And then I started gaining weight in abstinence because, to me, the definition of abstinence was what I didn't eat, right? And again, it's long, a long list of stuff I don't eat, uh, and it's grown. Amazingly, very few things ever go back onto the okay list, but a lot of it has gone to the not-so-okay list. Uh, and I heard a guy talk about eating soberly, and his definition of eating soberly... By the way, and my sponsor tried hard to, to explain the food stuff to me in his words. I couldn't hear what he was saying. And so to me, mealtime became a time, not a meal. Between six and seven is dinner. Oh, let's see what I can eat that isn't on that list. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, seconds, thirds, no problem. Cheese, yeah, more cheese, double cheese, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so... Uh, so he says, it's not about what you do eat. It's, it's, uh, it's not about what you don't eat. It's about how do you eat? Are you eating soberly? Because you know, look, you know, uh, alcoholism and and I don't want to get into the politics of this, but it's more binary than our disease. You know, you're either drinking or you're not. Now I know you have cough syrup and near beer, whatever. Yeah, but let's put that aside for a moment. You're either drinking or you're not, right? Here we've got to eat. So how is it? How do I eat? How is it okay to eat? So. I went up to this guy who talked about sober eating and how we need to, you know, sort of, you know, put our food in a box so that we know that when we're sober. And I said, I, I need what you have. And I, he told me to do certain things. And from experience, we know that when people ask you for help and you tell them this is what you need to do, most of them don't do it. So he didn't expect me to call him the next morning at 8 o'clock, but I did. He didn't expect me to go to the 7.30 a.m. Sunday meeting in Studio City when I live in Santa Monica, but I did. Uh, and there I learned... 
that uh, you know that uh, I need to w- think about how I eat. What are my meals? What are my meal patterns? How much do I eat a meal? So my current abstinence is between six and eight ounces of protein at lunch and dinner and produce, pretty much. I mean, there's a couple of other things, but it's pretty much uh, protein and produce. Uh, and I eat uh, breakfast, but I eat basically yogurt and fruit for breakfast, or if sometimes eggs and fruit. But, you know, I, I have two or three breakfasts that I eat. I have lunch where I can pick my protein, pick my vegetables or my salad or whatever it is, or not, or be hungry. You know, I mean, if I, you know, if I'm on the run, a lot of times I'm on the run, I just, you know, they're serving, you know, hamburgers on buns with french fries. I'll pull out, you know, the hamburger, eat it without the bun. And then, you know, at three o'clock, I go, geez, why didn't I eat some, why didn't I go find some vegetables? Because I'm hungry. But, you know, it takes 26 days for someone to starve. I can manage a couple hours. Yeah. Um, and that's it. And two fruit snacks. Fruit, two, it's either a piece of fruit, and a piece of fruit is not a watermelon or a pineapple. Uh, so I have two snacks, one in the afternoon, one in the evening, uh, and it's a piece of fruit, uh, or some cut, you know, five ounces of cut fruit, or two ounces of nuts, or two ounces of uh, beef or turkey jerky. Those are my allowable snacks. Uh, I usually have one between lunch and dinner, and one after dinner. And if there's any changes, and I say any changes, I talk to somebody before I do it because I can't fix my problem with my mind. I have no perspective over my food, even today. I need somebody else to say it's okay, either a normal person or not. I'll ask people, you know, in a restaurant, how many ounces of chicken is on that salad? Well, three or four. Okay, double chicken. You know, uh, or if it's five or six, then no. So, you know, I mean, I, I proactive about finding out because I want to eat within my very... Uh, you know, uh, I call them big, bold, black lines. My food has big, bold, black lines. And I want to eat within those bold, black lines. When I get close to the edges, I get a little nuts. And if I go out of the edges and I'm on day one, and I can't stand up here and talk to you guys, so I don't do it. I mean, today, I don't do it. So far. Julie? Thanks. Um, always good to hear you. Um, if you've gone through the steps more than once, uh, talk about like how it was different each time or not? Yes, I, I, I've gone through the steps formally twice, and then uh, I'm doing it now through in the big book, which is a new way of doing it. The first time I did it, I did it in the AA 12 and 12, and I would read a paragraph and then write on that paragraph. At the end of each step, I'd share it with my sponsor. Uh, once I shared it with my sponsor and we discussed it, and you know he would basically slap me back onto the path, uh, then I'd move on to the next step. I did that with the AA 12 and 12 first. I believe, my opinion, the AA books are the, you know, that's the sort of the, the you know, the, the source, and the OA books are great, but the AA, though they, in my opinion, don't replace the AA books. So I did it through the uh, AA 12 and 12. Then I went through the big book, though not formally looking at the steps, just going through the book. Then I did the OA 12 and 12, uh, which you know had a lot of merit and value, but it doesn't replace the other one. Uh, and now, uh, and then I did some other book work and step work, and now I'm going through the big book with an eye towards looking for the step work within the, within the, uh, the first 164 pages, as opposed to the stories or the experiences. And and how has it been different? You know, it, it, you, it's, you, I'm digging. I'm, I'm, I don't. I, when I say digging a hole, it has a pejorative connotation. I don't mean it to, but I'm digging. I'm digging a hole, and the deeper I get, the, you know, I'm uncovering different stuff, because I don't have to worry about those first 168 resent, uh, resentments of people calling me fat. I've already dealt with that. 
You know, I've, I've gotten to a place of forgiveness. By the way, forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay that you did that. Forgiveness means I separate myself from the emotion of you doing that to me. Okay, I don't have to like you, but I can still forgive you. You know, I don't have to like what you did, I can still forgive you. So those are the things I learned, like that's like four or five years in. Holy, why didn't I think of that five years? Well, you know, because you keep working. And the more I learn and the more I hear from you guys, the more I learn, the more I listen to people like Herb Kay or Harlan do their big book workshops, Lowry. You know, I learn about, about what we do here. And so it, it, every day is different. So, you know, every time I, every paragraph I read, I learn something else. Diane, I saw your hand. Thank you so much for sharing your recovery. Could you talk a bit about how you work steps 10, 11, and 12 and how, how you calm your mind? Sure. Steps 10, 11, and 12 and how I calm my mind, not very well is the answer. Uh, I'll, I'll go backwards. Uh, 10, I do it, uh, I, uh, I have rituals. Uh, I'll include that in the answer if that's okay. In the morning, I say four prayers, and the, my favorite of which is, God, please, just for today, allow me not to binge eat or eat for my own sensual pleasure. Instead, allow me to use food as medicine to sustain my body and nourish my soul so I may be of service to at least one other person. That to me is very important because if I eat for my own sensual pleasure, I'm not going to eat in that big bla- in that box with the big black lines around it. You know, I'm going to eat for sensuality and fun, and I can't afford to do that. I'm not like normal people. I can't do that. Uh, tenth step, I do uh, at the end of the day. You know, I once heard someone say that in the morning they said, uh, 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 "Whatever." That was their prayer. Whatever. <laughs> And I thought, how, you know, and then I said, thought about it for a minute. Well, actually, it's pretty cool. You know, God, whatever you have for me today, I'm going to do, going to, going to embrace as well, as best as I can and try and do with, as well as I can with it, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, her prayer was, oh, well. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, that's a terrible thing. How can you say? But it's like, oh, well, God, you, yeah, I did the best that I could with what you gave me. And yeah. But I do a little bit more formal than that. I, I have a couple of prayers I say in the evening, uh, including the third step prayer and the serenity prayer. And then every morning I write my sponsor I, uh, ten gratitudes, uh, a uh, what's, uh, what's going right, what's the plan, what's keeping me from peace, and then inventory my food for him. Uh, so that's my ten step. Uh, my eleventh step, you know, I pray. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I pray a lot, but I don't pray formally because I'm not big on religion. Uh, you know, that's coming from a place of being a Jew in a Christian society, and uh, so yeah, I always thought that the born agains were trying to kill me. Are they not? But I always thought that because I'm, you know, paranoid. I'm post-Holocaust Jew. Blah 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 blah. So, you know, uh, so my prayers are not as formal as I please God allow me to. To you know, calm, be calm, make a rational decision. You know, that type of thing. let me separate from this. Let me not eat over this. That type of stuff. Uh, and uh, and the other prayers that I do were part of that. And uh, uh, but I don't do a lot of meditating. Uh, my mind is very busy, and I have a real hard time with it. And uh, please don't come up after the meeting and give me your seventeen ways that you meditate because. <laughs> Uh, people have done that, and I've tried a lot of different stuff, and it works for some people. I'm still on a journey to try to discover it, but I don't know that what works for you is necessarily going to work for me. Uh, I would like to find a way to calm my mind more, truthfully, because it is very busy, uh, and that's not a good thing for someone who has my disease. Uh, carrying the message, I, you know, I, I try to work with newcomers. I've got some sponsees. I've said in a meeting the other day, uh, working with newcomers is really interesting because I have to pry the food out of their hands, literally. 
uh, and you know, I have I had a, a new sponsee, with two weeks old, and you know, he's arguing with me about food. And I finally said to him, "If you won't do the, it the way I do it, then find someone who'll do it the way you want to do it, and see how that works for you." Because that's I can't do it your way. I can only do it my way. I can only give you the experience I've had. Uh, you know, so I, but I try to carry the message. I, uh, you know, last night I was uh, on a plane from New York, and I was hoping to get upgraded. And I'm standing there with two other guys, also hoping to get upgraded. And I was the smallest of the three of us, which gives you an idea. And, uh, and I, and I, so I brought up in conversation. Well, you know, I used to weigh 110 pounds more. I couldn't fit in the seat. <laughs> uh, and uh, you try and get them to engage. They wouldn't. I didn't press it on them because I'm not going to be the guy carrying the big book around and in people's hands because I will tell you from personal experience that you got to really want it to make it work if you don't really want it I'm an asshole like the same people who told me their diet plans and there are about 750,000 of them that have told me their diet plans over the course of my life and I didn't listen anyway so I try to carry the message and I try to be an example but people do say hey how'd you lose all that weight you know and I'll, I'll say you want the hard answer or the easy answer the easy answer is I gave up sugar. The harder answer is call me and I'll tell you. You know, and sometimes they do, but you know, I can't. You know, it's you know, you can't walk into an ice cream parlor and grab three guys off a stool and you know, try and twelve step. At least that's not my experience. Yeah. Any other? I think there's probably time for one more. Well, uh, the question was, you know, uh, you know uh, I, and I'm not sure I exactly said it wasn't bad to buy the two, it was terrible to buy the two bags of cookies, but I did it because I was lying to myself. That was the, the point I was trying to make, is that, you know, my, the, the, victim of, the first victim of addiction is the truth. Right? I lie to myself and then it doesn't matter who else I lie to because if I'm lying to myself, what difference does it make what I tell anybody else? Because if, even if I tell them what I believe to be is the truth, it's probably a lie anyway. So, uh, you know, uh, so what, but the question was, what, what changed so that, you know, I didn't have to buy the two bags of cookies and, or donuts or whatever it was and, and eat them? And the answer is God. The answer is God. You know, some form of spiritual belief that there's something greater than me out there that will help me get in the way, get in the way of my disease. Because my disease wants its own way. I need something to block my disease and say, oh, no, it's not okay. And God's what does that for me. You know, the, the spiritual program, a spiritual practice. Am I done or? All right, one minute. Any last question? Yes, Mr. Blanca. Yeah, thank you. So how about a recent God shot in your life? Something that happened recently where you could connect with it? Well, uh, the question was, has there been a recent God shot? And the truth is everything is a God shot. Yo, know, I mean, I, I went yesterday. I, 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 I make bad television shows for a living, and I went yesterday to, uh, to. Uh, I was in New York because I was pitching shows, and I went. And, and when I walk into a room, and I do a lot of work before I get into the room, but when I walk into a room, I literally, as a, if there's a handle or as I'm crossing the threshold, I say, God, I hope I've done the proper footwork. The rest of it is in your hands. And I walked into the room, and I presented my stuff, and they said yes. Uh, they didn't say. Yes, and here's a check. They said, yes, let's figure out a way to make the money work. But they said, yes. Well, I didn't say yes. 
you know, they said yes. They're a power greater than me. Now, I'm not saying the people in those room, in that room is God, but that's you know, that's the, real quickly because my time is up. You know, when we talk about a power greater than ourselves, you know, sometimes it's the deity, it's that that universal energy, etc. And sometimes it's my boss. Sometimes it's my kids. You know, sometimes it's the guy who you know runs a red light. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it, 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 they're all powers greater than me. So, you know, so uh, yesterday, the power greater than me, the guy who with the checkbook said, let's try and make this work. Now, is that God with a checklist? I don't think so. But the work that I've done and the spirituality and the way that I approach things, it allows me to be in that room, to be in that situation, to see what happens. So everything is a God shot. There's no, uh, I, you know, I haven't had that lightning bolt thing. My, my spirituality is more of the educational variety, even with that spiritual experience, because you see, I didn't act on it. If you have a spiritual experience, in my opinion, you've got to act on it. You've got to do something about it. You know, otherwise, it's just you know, a cute story. So anyway, thank you. That is my time. Thank you very much.